Well, once again, I'd like to uh, welcome you all to our continuing study, 50 Days of Unleashing Hope. And today we're talking about replacing burnout with balance. Now, I wasn't prepared for the um, number of people that approached me after first service and said how timely this message was, so I assume that it's going to be timely for you as well. So let me ask this question. How many of you have finely tuned, stress-free, balanced lives? How many of you out there have that? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, nobody, right? Um, I think we all need to hear what God has to say about finding balance in our lives, finding time margins in our lives, because the alternative is not very attractive. Now, for those of us in the third and fourth quarters of our lives, uh, we question the accuracy of the Rolling Stones classic hit, Time is on Our Side, right? In fact, some of you old enough to remember, sing that with me. Time is on our side. Yes, it is. No, it's not. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. I mean, Mick Jagger's like 72 years old, and... Uh, Time is not on our side. Uh, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I feel like time is my enemy. Uh, I have a lot more behind me than I have in front of me. I doubt that I'll live, God forbid, that I'd live to be 130. But uh, I know that time is no longer on my side. Now, I do know one good thing about getting older, and that's being a grandparent. I love being a grandparent. It's a lot easier, by the way, parents, than being a, grand a parent. But uh, um, in fact, this week on Thursday, uh, our son and daughter-in-law and four grandchildren from Georgia are coming out here to spend some time with us. So you'll get to see them on both the Sunday, next Sunday, the 8th, and also on Father's Day. So it'll be fun to see them. In fact, I met a new couple today uh, that just have been, uh, that moved here about a year ago from Atlanta. So that's kind of cool. Maybe introduce them. But so uh, our grandkids are coming, and I love our grandkids. So a couple of years ago, uh, it was my birthday, and uh, Jaden, uh, our oldest grandson, who's now 15, back then uh, he was like 11, I think, when he, uh, we, we asked us, he, he call, he, they called me on the phone to wish me a happy birthday, and, and uh, Jaden said, well, Grandpa, how old are you? And at that time, I said, well, I'm 60 years old. And there's this long pause on the phone. And then Jaden said one word. He said, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I'll say, whoa. <laughs> now, there's other grandparent moments. Listen to a couple of these. Uh, my grandson was visiting one day when asked, Grandma, do you know how you and God are alike? I mentally polished my halo and asked, no, how are we alike? He said, you're both old, okay? Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, my young grandson called the other day to wish me happy birthday. He asked me how old I was, and I told him, 62. He was quiet for a moment, then he asked, did you start at one? You know, because you don't always want... And I like this one. Uh, when my grandson asked me how old I was, I teasingly replied, I'm not sure. He replied, look in your underwear, Grandpa. Uh, mine says I'm four to six. Okay, so... I only wish I was 38 to 40 again. <laughs> so time is not on our side, right? We need time margins, and we have to decide 
what we're going to do with our time. Every one of us has the same amount of time, and we have to decide what we're going to do. Too many of us live too close to the edge, too far, too long. And failing to find balance, we can literally kill ourselves. Ulcers give way to high blood pressure, even heart attacks, because we have no balance, no margins in our lives. Did you know that 86% of all Americans feel chronically stressed out? 86%. 62% of Americans say, I'm burned out or I'm critically close to burnout. 59% of Americans feel a desperate need to slow down. And this one, a typical American today gets two and one half hours less sleep than an American a hundred years ago. We're piled on, packed it on, stretched to the limit people, chronically rushed, chronically late, chronically exhausted. Now we have a lot of young families that come to our first service. That's at nine o'clock. And for some of you smart people that come to the second service, uh, you had more time to kind of get your kids ready and all of that. But we have a lot of young families come first, and so many times I see them coming in, and you can just see, especially on the mother's faces, this, I am totally exhausted. Somebody take my kids so I can go sit in church for an hour and sleep. I mean, there's this, this sense that, oh, Lord, give me strength. We know what it's like to be squeezed in our time. Now, if we follow the formula of our culture, cram everything in as you possibly can, it's going to lead to a sense of hopelessness. Because no one has the kind of time margins that we need unless we decide to do them ourselves. We feel a tremendous sense. When there's stress in our lives, that's what breeds hopelessness. And what we want to give to you, offer to you from Scripture today, is some ways to feel hopeful about balance in your life so that you will not be burned out. You won't be one of those 87% or 86% that feels burnout. We need to get time back on our side because a lack of balance, a lack of margins will lead to this sense of despair and ultimately a depression. So now some of you, I've heard some of you say, well, I don't have time to make time margins. Well, see, now that's your problem right there, right? Think about it when you say that, you know. So let me share with you from Scripture three statements that will clarify our time margins. Three statements that will clarify our time margins. And the first one is this. Maybe you didn't realize this, but your time is limited. Um, In our first service, uh, there's a, a family that's been coming to our church for about a year, Ken and Michelle Thompson. Wonderful family. In fact, Michelle used to work with uh, Doug Ellis in Washington for many years. And when they moved down here, they started coming to our church for the last 18 months or so. Well, most of you don't know them because they always came to first service. But uh, Ken was a guy with a big, bushy, uh, white hair, big, bushy beard. Well, even though he was only 58 years old, Tuesday morning, uh, he passed away in the middle of the night. Now, he's had a lot of chronic heart issues and stuff, and they knew he wasn't completely well. He had five surgeries over the last year. But it was still a shock to Michelle. And bless her heart, she was in church with all of her family this morning, her first service. But I was talking to her afterwards, because after she heard the sermon, she said, you know what? I never really thought about the fact that, that we don't have unlimited time. But now I realize my husband's gone. <laughs> And here I am in my 50s, and I've got the rest of my life, and and I need to make sure that I do what's best for me and for the kingdom with my time. 
We need to recognize that our time is limited. So here's what I want to tell you. Every one of you in here today, unless the Lord says otherwise and brings you home before the end of 2014, every one of you has the same amount of time left in the year. We've already spent 151 days in 2014. We have 214 days left, which means you have 5,136 hours, you have 308, 160 minutes, you have 18,489,000 seconds left, and every one of us have an equal amount. The question today is, what are you going to do with that time? What are you going to do with the time? Now, statistically, and I don't want to give any bad news, but statistically, by the end of 2014, we won't all still be here. Some, statistically speaking, one or two people in our church will have passed away before the end of 2014. Now, don't be looking around and see who your neighbor is and all that. You know. But we have limited time on this planet. And the question that we want to face today, and we're going to help get help from God's Word, is what are we going to do with that time? We've held the equal amount of time. Every one of you in here has exactly the same number of seconds the rest of the year, 18 million plus seconds. Okay, you know that. What are you going to do with that time? Now, the second statement that we're going to look at today is this. All of your time is going to be spent. All of it. There's only one thing that's 100% sure in life, and that is that everyone's going to die. It's the only thing that's 100% sure. But there are no leftovers. You don't go to your deathbed and say, well, I saved six months back in 2004 and I want those months. No, it doesn't work that way. No leftovers, no box of extra minutes. You can't save time. And then here's a third statement. We're going to look at these in a little more detail. The third statement is this. Somebody is going to determine how you spend your time. Who's that going to be? Someone is going to determine how you spend your time. Is it you? Or is it someone else? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Pastor, you don't know how crazy my life is. I mean, I've got my kids, and I've got my job, and I've got church responsibilities, and I've got this, and I've got that, and I just have no time margins. It's like every time I put something in my calendar, it's like a balloon. It just stretches, 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 and I feel the stress constantly. I don't have any control of my time. Well, let's be very careful how we say that because we all have to sign off on all those things. We have control of our time or we let somebody else control our time. I know it can be frustrating and I know you can maybe deflecting responsibility. Well, my wife and my kids take all my time. No, we have responsibility for our time. Each and every one of us does. I remember when I was um, uh, first a youth pastor. It was 1970, the fall of 1970. It was my senior year in college. And I had lots going on. I, had, I was finishing my engineering degree, so it was senior year. We had all the stuff going on with that. Plus, I worked at a place called Chemtronics for 20 hours a week. And the reason I worked there, they paid me, but they were also paying my tuition. So I had to work for them. In addition, our pastor asked me if I would be the youth pastor for our little church. This was in the fall of, 2000, or fall of uh, 1970. And I said yes. And... Um, and so that was another 10 hours a week. They paid me big bucks, you know, $150 a month for, for that. And so I had all of these things going on. And I used to have my parents, my friends at church, friends at school. Well, how's your love life going? Are you dating anyone? And I said, I don't have time for romance. <laughs> I don't have any margins in my life at all. I don't have time for girls. I don't have time for romance. I don't have time for dating. And then I met Sherry. And all my priorities changed. 
There's a spectacular 19-year-old co-ed who had loved God with all her heart. She was wonderful. She had a heart of gold. She was everything I always wanted. And so all of my life changed. Now, I had the same number of hours that I did before, but my priorities changed. In fact, the teenagers used to ask that I was being the youth pastor for, said, how, how come you don't hang out as much with us anymore as you used to? I said, well, have you met Sherry? <laughs> That's why, you know, I'm hanging out. Now, I still give you my 10 hours a week, but that's all you get because the rest is going to her, you know. So I changed my priorities. Everyone has the same amount of time. You get to choose what you do with your time or you let somebody else choose for you. Here's God's suggestion. God's suggestion is this. Let me be in charge of your time. Let me be in charge of your time. Let me help you control this watch or the clock on your desk at work, or the clock in your home, or your calendar. Let me be in charge of your time. You say, well, that's kind of weird. How would we let God be in charge of our time? I mean, it's ours. You kind of feel threatened about that. Say, well, I I want control of my life. I don't want to give that over. Why should we let God be in charge? Well, let me ask you, let me tell you two reasons why. Number one, because God gave you the time in the first place, Every minute, every second that you have is a gift from God. And the second reason we should let God help us with our time is that He is the only one, including, not including us, He's the only one that knows how much time we have left. None of you knows how much time you have left. You've all heard that scenario where, you know, would you, if you could, would you, know, would you like to know the day you're going to die? And we all kind of shudder and go, no, I don't want to know. Don't, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Well, God does know the time of day. Uh, Here's how we know that from the Old Testament. There's this wonderful book, if you haven't read it, called Job. And it's all about life's problems and difficulties and how God intersects with the world and with our situation. And at one point, Job kind of looked pensively at God, and this is what Job said to God. He said, you have decided the length of our lives. You, speaking to God, know how many months we will live. And we are not given a minute longer. Now, Job realized that. I wonder if you have ever really realized that. First of all, the time that you have is a gift from God. So yes, you should ask Him to help you with your time. And secondly, only God, not even you, only God knows how much time you have left. So doesn't it make sense that you want to go to Him and ask Him for help with your time? God has determined the exact number of our days and minutes. You cannot save any of them from yesterday, and we cannot add one day. So let me read you a parable from the Bible. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 12, and this is the parable. The title of it kind of gives it away. It's the parable of the rich fool, okay? And uh, it's really an interesting story, and I want to read that for you, just a few verses. But it's in chapter 12 of Luke, starting at verse 13. Now, when you read this, there's a lot of There's a lot of teaching in this parable. Uh, You can teach about money. You can teach about wealth. You can teach about generosity. You can teach about stinginess. But one of the themes of this parable is the theme of, of, of time and how we use our time. So listen to this. This is uh, uh, the Lord's word for you. Now, uh, it begins, uh, Jesus is talking, and a group, uh, two guys ask him a question, or one guy asks him a question. Verse 13, then someone called from the crowd, a teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So they're asking Jesus to solve a problem, you know. Uh, you know, like Solomon will cut the baby in half, you know, just cut the estate in half. And so he's saying, hey, my brother over, he's not doing the right thing. Would you tell him to do the right thing? 
Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So he said, okay, now I'm going to tell you a story because life is not measured by how much you own. So that's the setup. Then he tells the story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So that's what the guy's saying to himself. Okay, this is really great, man. I've got everything I need. You know, I've got barns full of grain. I've got money in the bank. I've got a two-chariot garage. I've got a, a, you know, a summer home in Bethany. I've got it all. You know, I've just, I've just got it all. And then verse 20, but God said to him, okay, now all of a sudden God speaks to this guy, right? You fool, you will die this very night. Then you will get everything you, then who will get everything you worked for? Verse 21, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So here's this parable, this amazing story about this guy. Again, you can talk about money and all of that, but I really see this in the context of time. How much time does one have left? Now, the Bible doesn't say that God said, I'm going to kill you. That's not what happened. He said, I know when you're going to die, pal. And guess what? It's tonight. <laughs> it's tonight. You're feeling good about yourself, leaning back against the fence. I got all the money I need. My barns are full. You know, I, I could give it to the poor, but that's, that's not good management. That's not good business. You know, I could help some of those people who are out of jobs, but they just need to get jobs because they're lazy. You know, I, but it's all mine. It's all good. So he's feeling good about himself, and then God comes along and says, you know what? Tonight you're going to die. I know the number of your days, and tonight's the night. And can you imagine what that guy thought and felt at that time? And can you imagine the, the dialogue he wanted to have with God? I said, now, now God, wait a minute. Let's, let's negotiate this. <laughs> you, know, you know, what do you want? I got grain. I got money. I got chariots. What do you want? We can, we can work this out. And God looks at him and he goes like this. He goes, 10, 9. Eight. No, no, now God, wait a minute, just hold on, you're just a second, you're not understanding something. Uh, uh, okay, what do you want me to do? Give to the poor. I read about that in the, in the Bible, okay, I'll give to the poor. So I'll give half of my food to the poor. And these poor widows over here, yeah, they don't have much, I'll give them. The, and these guys that I think are lazy because they don't work, I'll give them. Some, and, and, and then, and then he, what, do you, what do you think about that, God? And God goes, seven, six. Five. No, no, wait, wait, wait. We've got to be able to negotiate. This is not right. I mean, look at everything I've had, all that I've done. I've done this with my hands. I've been a great businessman. I've been a great saver. I'll do whatever you want. I'll give it all away. I'll just, we've just got to be able to negotiate. Four, three, two, one. It's over. This guy and so many of us fail to realize that what we do with our time what we do with our resources really matters to God. We don't know how much time we have. Only God knows that. And God says, listen, you've got this time, you've got the, these 18 million seconds in 2014. What are you going to do with them? How are you going to use them for my kingdom? I've decided the length 
of your days. You want to live with margins in your life? Your heavenly Father wants to help. He wants to help you. How can He help? Well, here's what I would like to share with you from, again, from Scripture. How do I live my life with balance and margins? And it begins, just like we said earlier, it begins with recognizing that your days are numbered by God. Here's a great verse, and I want you to remember this verse, memorize this verse, Psalm 90, verse 12. And I'm reading it in the New Living Translation, but you can read it in any translation. It's really good. Here's the verse. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Now, here's an interesting concept. God, in the psalmist, and we'll see it later, Paul in Ephesians, God links the brevity of life and wisdom together. Those who recognize that life is short, I want to make the best of it. I've only got 80 years on this planet. I want to do the very best I can for the kingdom, for my family, for those who can. I want to do everything right. I want to make the priorities God's priorities. I want to do this all right. See, because God said, I want you to realize something. There are two things that matter above everything else. If you read the Gospels, Jesus said it over and over and over and over again. And he said it this way. All the commandments are good. Nothing wrong with the commandments. I gave them to you so that you wouldn't kill yourselves, right? All the commandments are good. They're great. You should pay attention to them. But there are two commandments. There are two things that stand out above everything else. There are two things that matter above everything else. You do these two things right and everything else falls into place. And the two things are these. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. You do those two things right and you're going to have the right margins of time. You need time for God. You need time for other people. Now, what are the first two things that seem to flitter away when we don't have any time margins. I don't have time to go to church. I have too many things to do. And I don't have time for a quiet time. Who's got that? And I'd have to get up at four in the morning to have alone time with God. I don't have time for that. I don't have those kind of margins. And our, you know, our neighbors, yeah, we should be friendly to our neighbors. We don't have time to invite them over for dinner. Our friends from church, we don't have time to go to a party. We don't have time for that. We have too many things going on. The two things that matter the most, God said, our relationship with Him, and a relationship with other people. And if you don't have time margins for those, you're, you're, you're not doing what God has asked you to do in His Word. You're being strictly and purely disobedient to His Word if you're not finding margins for God and for each other. That's strong and that's true from God's Word. It begins by recognizing your days are numbered by God. And God says, I need you to have your priorities straight. And those priorities include God, a relationship with Him, number one, and other people, Number two, from God you gain a heart of wisdom. God wants to give you a heart of wisdom. He wants you to know how, he wants to help you to know how to use your time. I know my father when he was um, on his deathbed, he died very young. He was 56 years old. He died in 1983. And I remember the last, he had lung cancer and uh, he knew it for three years, so he had kind of three years that, two of those years, he lived pretty good life, and the last year was very, very bad. And, uh, but that last year, um, we used to talk about uh, a bucket list. Dad, what do you want to do? You know, what restaurant do you want to go to? Uh, what do you want to go for a drive? What do you want to do? And he used to talk about his bucket list in different terms. It, for him, it wasn't a bucket list. It was a relationship list. Well, I want to spend time with my kids. I want to spend time with my grandkids. You know, I want to I just have conversations with them. I want to spend some time with them. I want to be in their presence. So for his, his bucket list was a relationship list because he knew the two things that mattered above all other things is a relationship with God and a relationship with other people. 
God says, you need to understand this, and you need to be wise about this. How are you going to use your time? On this point, uh, my wife, Sherry, is uh, my teacher. Uh, Sherry always has had this enormous love relationship with Jesus that is nurtured by time alone with him every single day. In fact, if she doesn't have time alone with God, she's not very fun to be around. So I just stay away. I say, you go and have your time with God. But she has been my teacher because she is so faithful in this. Every morning she goes out on the patio, she goes in the living room or in her little nook, and she has time with the Lord. Sometimes it's two or three hours. It's amazing what she has, uh, what she can do in that time. And so she's always been one who has taught me the importance of making Christ number one in your life. Because it can be so busy. I mean, often I'm gone early in the morning to a breakfast or to work out, and I get into my office, and I know I need to have my quiet time, but I've got all these emails and all these phone calls and all these sermons and all these meetings, and I just, oh, she teaches me. And we all need to recognize, you know what? The most important thing we can do is spend time alone with God. Living with the margins of time begins with a relationship and recognizing that we need time with God. The second thing we have to do is recognizing God's priorities as our own. Recognizing God's priorities as our own. Ephesians 5, 15, and 16, we read these words. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of your time. So here's a question. Do you really love the things that God loves? Do you really hate the things that God hates? I mean, God hates racism. God hates terror. God hates all of those things that human beings seem to do to each other. Do you cherish the things that Jesus cherishes? Those are the things we need to spend our time with. How do we live this out? Well, let me make a kind of a practical and I think profound uh, suggestion for how to live this out. Sit down with your calendar or your iPhone or your iPad or your computer, wherever you keep your schedule. Sit down with your schedule and ask this question first. What is the wise thing to do? Okay, that's a biblical question. What is the wise thing to do? Not what is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. So many times we get caught up in kind of a moral game of what's good, bad, ugly, all of that. What is the wise thing to do? You know your life. You know your rhythm. You know your spiritual gifts. You know everything. And God help, wants to help you and be wise about your time. What is the wise thing to do? Don't ask the question, do we have an available slot? Because you can always find an available slot. Yeah, do a schedule like a balloon and it keeps expanding until it finally pops. But what is the wise thing to do? Did you know that Jesus didn't heal everybody that wanted healing? Did you know that Jesus didn't touch everybody that wanted to be touched? There were times he had to be alone. There were times he, a lot of time he spent with just the 12 disciples. A lot of times he spent hanging out in bars and where prostitutes were. He did not have unlimited time. He had the same amount of time that you and I do. And he used them wisely. Even the Son of God used them wisely. Now let me say just a word to those of you like me, hard chargers, type A types. There's a fear that if we back off on the accelerator, that we won't be as productive. 
I, th I think we, then we have to ask the question, what is productive, right? And how def who defines it? Is it our boss or is it God? Uh, because God is the God of productivity. He likes us to produce, right? But is your self-worth connected to your productivity? It's not a wise way to live. Let, let me offer you a secret, okay? Again, this is a secret from God's Word. The secret is this. Your capacity is not determined by how much you do or how much you cram into your schedule. But your capacity, but your priorities determine your capacity. Your priorities determine your capacity. So let me give you an example. Sure, you didn't like this example, but it's a great example. Um, so last um, May, uh, after Memorial Day, we were preparing to leave on our 10-week sabbatical that the church graciously gave to us. So, and we were going to drive, and we're going to drive to Oregon, Washington, Canada, uh, cruise to Alaska. We put almost 6,000 miles on our van in those 10 weeks. And so what we have to do before, the last Sunday we preached, it was uh, the Memorial Day weekend, and so the Saturday before, I was going to pack the van, get everything all packed. So I said, Jerry, let's put everything in the garage that we need to take, right? So we start bringing out all the stuff that we'd prepared, and I said, is that everything? And Sherry said, oh no, that's not everything. So she kept bringing out more stuff and more stuff. And so I'm packing the van as it comes out. I'm just cramming it in there and finding nooks and crannies and shoving it all in there. And finally, the van's all full, and I looked down, and there's still all this stuff. And I look at Sherry and go, seriously? Are you kidding me? Now, part of the stuff that was still there was our suitcases, <laughs> sleeping bags that we had to have for the grandkids, you know, things like that that we had to have. There was no room in there. Sherry said, shouldn't we get a trailer? No, we're not going to get a trailer. Okay, we're not doing that. So unpack everything, take everything back out, and then guess what we did? We prioritized. Suitcases go in first. We need our clothes. Sleeping bags. The grandkids need the sleeping bags. And all the things that we knew we had to have, we just, no question about it, we put those in first. And guess what? We fit everything in. We put it in. Now, there's a lot of stuff that we didn't take, but the stuff that we didn't take were low priorities. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Brandon did a sermon. In the second service, you'll remember, he had the glass jar, right? And he dropped the rock in it. Remember that? How many remember that? Okay, yeah, yeah. You made a big mess. Okay, made a big mess. When I asked him how his sermon went, he said, it went great. He didn't tell me that part, you know. Yeah. So, but here's the deal. What he was sharing is that what do you do to make this full, this thing full, whether it's a 24 hours or a van? Well, you put in the most important things, the biggest things first. You put in the rocks first, right? The big things. And then you fill in around it the sand and the pebbles and the water. And then everything fits. If you try to put in the sand and the water and everything first, you'll never get the rocks in. That's what we tried to do in our van. Here's the deal. Your time has to be prioritized. What are the rocks? What are the sleeping bags that you absolutely have to have? Your relationship with God and your relationship with people. Everything else is sand. Everything else is pebbles. Everything else is secondary to those two things. We have to put first things first. Put those big rocks in first. Put those suitcases in first. God says, this is how you do it. This is how you gain wisdom, by making God's priorities your priorities. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the answer. And that brings us to the third most important part of having margins of time, and it's just simply this, recognizing our desperate need for God, the rock. He's the rock. Why is it the rock is always 
just an option. Why is it relationship with him is if we have time? I can't tell you how many people I talk to every week that say the same thing, and it's this, well, I should, dot, dot, dot. And the shoulds have to do with my Bible study and prayer and, and sharing my faith and all. My shoulds. You know what? We need to turn those shoulds into rocks. It's the most important thing. The suitcase that goes in the van first. The rock that goes in the jar first. We need to recognize our need for the rock in our lives. John Wesley said it this way, I have so much to do today. I must spend the first hours with God. Now, as an engineer, that drives me crazy, right? Okay, so you've got 18 hours you're going to be awake today, and you have 19 hours worth of work, so therefore you're going to take three hours to be with God. That math just doesn't add up. But that was the, that was the thing. The Spirit of God makes the math add up. That's why I love my wife and what she does in the ministry that she has to me and to others. She says, no, this is the rock. This matters. Everything else will have to wait, but not this. I must spend the first hours, Wesley said, with God. How do you add something by taking it away? By using the wisdom of God in managing your time by priority. So in our staff meeting last Tuesday, we talked about uh, something that I felt really strongly that we should be doing, and everybody agreed, and that is to have everyone in our staff every month have a dog day. Now, a dog day is a day alone with God. Okay, so... Here's the deal, what we're going to do. Because what we do is we've always kind of encouraged that. We said, yeah, we should. And um, uh, Brandon and I have done that once in a while, but not re regularly. But now we're saying, okay, we're going to hold each other accountable. We're all going to do this. One dog day a month. Now, a dog day is not taking away from the family. It's not saying, okay, my day off, uh, Brandon's day off is Friday, so I'll, uh, you know, uh, that, that's when I should be with my family, so I'll take my day off on Friday. No, no, no. Your dog day is a church day. A work day, right? Uh, I, I'd much rather our young pastors take away from you for 18 hours than their families, right? Because we want them healthy. So we need dog, and it's recognizing that we can't go it alone. We can't do it. If we, we can't effectively pastor you, and we can't effectively love God the way we want to unless we tend to our souls, and we tend to our souls by putting first things first, priority, time with God alone in our lives, in our schedules. In my calendar, I put date night with Sherry, and when somebody says, well, can you do so-and-so that night, I say no, and they say, why not? I said, because I've got another commitment. I don't have to tell them what it is, none of their business, all right? I've got another commitment. I do the same thing with my time alone with God. No other thing can go there. And we need to have, all of us need to have that kind of commitment to putting the Lord first. So here's the testimony of hundreds in our church. And that is those of us who give first fruits and are of our very best to God. And it's Matthew 6, 33. You know this verse. But seek first his kingdom. First rock, first suitcase, first thing in. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All of the sand and the little stones and the water, all of those things will be given to you as well. God doesn't want to take something away from you. He wants to give you something. He wants to give you a relationship that will change your life. So when you plan your day, first fruit, first rock, first sleeping bag is him. Seek him first.
and seek his wisdom and you will find margin. So as I, was, uh, as I finish this message this morning, I, I just want to just put a few questions out there for you to ponder. Now, I don't have answers to all these questions, but as I was writing the sermon, these questions came up and I thought, you know what, maybe I should share these. So I want to do that. So here's some questions when you're considering how to organize the margins of your lives. And I hope all of you go home and think about this and talk about it. How are we going to do our lives in such a way that we're not like that balloon that's getting just stressed, stressed until it finally pops? So here's some questions to ask. The first one is this. If I don't do as much, it'll never get done. Okay, that's a statement, so here's the question. What's it? And why is it so important? If I don't do as much, it'll never get done. The second statement with a question. If I don't do it all, I'll fall behind. Fall behind what? Fall behind who? If I don't work extra and make more money, I won't have enough. Well, how much is enough? Next one. If I don't do it, I won't be acceptable. By who? And finally, if I don't succeed, I won't measure up. Measure up to what? And by whose standards? There's only one who knows our time and how much we have, and that's God. And God says, I want to give you wisdom on how to handle this thing. I want to give you wisdom on how to handle the days of your lives, the hours of your lives. I want to be a partner with you because I'm the one that knows. I know how much time you have left. Nobody else knows, God says. And so we come once again to this amazing psalm, Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, that says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, teach us about the brevity of life so that we might know how to live our lives with your wisdom. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to just spend some time in your word around this subject. Lord, we recognize that the time that we have is a gift from you and also that you're the only one that knows how much time we have left. So, Lord, may we partner with you in how to wisely use our time, especially with kingdom things, loving you and loving people. And may we do that to the glory of God. For we pray this in Jesus' precious name and all of God's people together said, Amen.